so many beautiful words, beautiful descriptions in here that Peter gives, and I think how so often in life we go about our, our days and we're looking down. <laughs> we are just getting by. We are just head down, um, walking out our lives, and um, we forget that um, there is this richness that God has with us, for us, in us, that he longs to pour out this hope that is always ahead of us. It's something that is, um, helps us to lift up our heads, but we need to choose to do that, to lift up our heads and see what Jesus won for us, see what he has for us, for our futures. It is decided, it is done. I thought these verses are such a, a really cool reminder of what we're really here for. <laughs> what we're really looking forward to. So I just want to read them. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful, a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, so when your faith remains strong, oops, sorry, skipping back. Through your faith, though your faith, <laughs> gosh, okay, let's go back a bit. Um, it, it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honour on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So good. Groovy. Kia ora. Hey, sermon time. But before sermon time, etu, stand up, go and say kia ora, buenos dias, konnichiwa to a couple of people, tell them you love them, tell them they're looking fine, looking fabulous. Okay, kia ora, enohoa, enohoa. Have a seat. Good to see y'all. All right, hey, kia ora, podcast people, kia ora, people on the video, how you doing? Ah, amazing. Man, they're doing fantastic. I have no idea. Um, all good. I always think, good on you for investing time. Like, we're here at church, it's kind of easy, but obviously your week is crazy, but you've taken time to download the podcast or listen to it or the video, so you're amazing, whoever you are. Awesome. All right, hey, so we're in our Christmas series, as you know, kind of cruising through these posters, so we're up to post number four, which is lit by a cool green light thing. Um... But here it is. Whoa, is it coming up? Yep. Um, so here is the, the two that we're looking at today, so off that poster. 
Um, but I'm really just going to focus on this one. So it's all about God has a plan, right? And there's some secret little things in there that I hadn't noticed um, before until I kind of looked in depth at the, at the poster this week. Um, and one of the things I was thinking this week, I love the big picture of that, that God has a plan. Because if you're like me, there's weeks where your life just feels completely unplanned. Do I hear an amen? Oh man, some weeks my life just feels like it's complete chaos. And I love coming back to this truth that God has a plan. He's got me. No matter what's going good, what's going bad, what's going crazy, what's the, who's invading who on the planet, because it seems like every other week it's like, hey, another country's invading or another plague. There's a massive pandemic going through China at the moment, all, all these kids getting pneumonia and it's terrible. And it's like, oh my gosh, what's, what's around the corner? And I just kind of go, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm a Christian because I'm totally cheating at this life thing because <laughs> everything's blowing up. But God's like, okay, Craig, I've got a plan. I know what I'm doing, right? Um, so obviously this is talking more about big picture, um, God's plan for the planet. But um, I'm not a God has a, and I'll say this real carefully, I'm not a God has a, a specific plan for your life um, person. But I do believe God has a plan for our lives, which Jesus summarizes when he's asked, what are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And out of that comes God's plan for your life. Do you know what I mean? He guides and directs within that. So I don't, I'm not a... You know, God has a perfect plan. I'm going to university next year. Which university does God? Oh, I think he's like, man, choose the one where you can serve me and be amazing and all that stuff. But we're talking more big picture. Um, God has a plan this week. So um, because all of you are like, what? God has a plan. I've never thought about this before. What are you talking about, Craig? I thought I would start with a true but hilarious story to get you focused. So this is a true story, and it's pretty ridiculous, but um, let me read this to you. So there's a true story about a couple, and you might have heard this before, I've heard this before, but I still find it hilarious, so I'm reading it. There's a true story about a couple who dreamed of one day driving across America during their golden years. They sold their home and bought a top-of-the-line RV, which is a camper van, if you're like, what is this American lingo? A camper van. They took the trip seriously, investing time and lessons on how to drive, park, and navigate their massive, massive vehicle as they prepared for their great journey. The husband began the drive, but eventually became tired. He asked his wife to take the wheel while he rested. True story, remember? The wife got behind the wheel, turned on the vehicle, put on the cruise control, and began down the road. At first, everything was going fine, um, until the wife stared out the window and thought, hang on, I really need to go to the bathroom. She didn't want to disturb her husband, so she got up and walked to the back of the RV. Now, if you're listening carefully, you may be asking yourself, wait a second, <laughs> her husband's still sleeping. Who's driving the motorhome? This is a good question, because after the RV crashed and was completely totaled, thankfully the couple was unharmed, <laughs> and the police showed up, the wife told them she'd placed the vehicle on autopilot. There's only one problem with that decision. The RV did not have a thing called autopilot. <laughs> oh, crazy. Cruise control, yeah, autopilot, not. Um, and so this, this God has a plan thing made me... I just keep coming back to this kind of thought um, this week, so... This is kind of what I'm going to bounce out of. So either the planet is on autopilot or someone is in control. Either things just happen by chance or someone has a plan and is carefully, patiently working it out. And happy to discuss with you afterwards if you don't agree with me, but I kind of think all of life comes down to these two, two, two options. Either this thing is just chaos and complete random chance or there's someone in control who's patiently, carefully working this thing out. Now, and I say this really carefully, <laughs> there's a lot of times when I'm looking at God's plan going, really, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, you know? <laughs> but then I go, no, God's got it. He knows what he's doing, right? Um, so I keep coming to that, back to this. Either the planet's on autopilot or someone's in control. Either things just happen by chance 
or someone has a plan and is carefully, patiently working it all out. Um, and obviously I believe it's, it's God's got this plan, right? Um, I've, I find it really hard, to be honest, to trust his plan sometimes because big picture planet stuff is happening and I'm like, really, God? Why are you allowing that? And I have to come back to the fact that he knows what he's doing. He sees the big picture. I don't. Heaps of times in my own life, these things are like, really, God, why are you allowing this? What are you doing? I thought you loved me. Ah, and it's like, no, I have to come back to this place of knowing that God has got me. He's got a plan. So he's working it out. I trust him. Um, so I thought I'd do a really fast review. We've done this in, a few weeks ago, and we were doing that, um, our story of the Bible, but just a real quick um, sprint through some of the key things in history, because one of the things that's important for us to remember is that I'll show you what I'm meaning, and, and then you'll be like, yeah, 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 you're shot, Craig. So first of all, God intended humans to live in harmony with him and with each other in the garden. That was like, you could say, plan A in a sense, right? The plan was, we're in the garden, it's perfect, and everything goes great, but we messed it up massively, right? We stuffed it up, and we, we ate the fruit, and all of us, if we'd been there, none of us would have lasted longer than Adam and Eve, right? We all know that, so... That was the plan. And then God's like, really, you clowns? But he knew, right? He knew. Um, and then the next one is um, God intended for humans to obey the Old Testament law and live in harmony with him and with each other. And that's t- totally the plan for the Old Testament, right? But we mess it up, right? Now, you can just keep going because every time God comes up with a plan, we mess it up. Um, the, the captivity of the nation of Israel, Judah, at, at the end of their time, Again, it's like the whole point is God is allowing them to go to captivity so that they would learn every time you sin and disobey God, it all turns to custard. So stop doing that. And then they come back from captivity. What do they do? Keep on sinning. And you're like, really? So it's kind of like no matter what God does, we stuff it up. Everyone agree? Yeah, if you don't, you're probably a lila, pants on fire. <laughs> um, until obviously we get to Jesus where God goes, okay, you guys keep stuffing up this whole developing a relationship with me. So I'm going to kind of, in a sense, take it out of your hands and I will establish the relationship with you through the death of Jesus, which we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks. So one of the big things that um, comes out to me every time I think through the, the Old Testament and how much it gets messed up is this whole 400 years of silence, right? Um, when you get to the end of the, the Old Testament, you have all these minor prophet books. And we're going to read from one of them um, a little bit later this morning. And... These are all written, or most of these minor prophet guys are written after Israel, um, Judah, you know, that whole split thing, has returned from captivity. And their core message is, oh my gosh, stop disobeying God. Last time you did it, it turned to custom, you end up captivity. Stop disobeying God, right? Um, And what do the people do? Keep disobeying God. And you just see it again and again, it's like, oh, God's heart is broken. I love you, obey me. And they're like, nope, nope, nope. (laughs) You just kind of feel like, man, we're on this treadmill of stupid human decisions, right? And so I wrote it down like this. It's like God goes, I tried walking with you in close fellowship and community in the garden, and that didn't work. (laughs) So I tried giving you really clear laws to follow so you easily knew how to journey with me, and that didn't work. (laughs) I ended up sending you to captivity to kind of shock you (laughs) into realizing how your sin messes you up, and that didn't work. And so then I feel like, and this is just my theory, I feel like at the end of that, God's just like, I'm done. What can I do? And then you enter this 400 years of like total silence where there's just no, um, thus saith the Lord, no prophets, no one's hearing anything from God, right? Um, and just a real side note, so in a few weeks we're going to be talking about Mary, um, it's that he was born of a virgin. Um, and I, I always think this is one of the reasons why Mary is so ostracized by her community, because she, so we know 
Zechariah, God spoken to Zechariah just before, um, what, six months before he speaks to Mary. Um, but no one would know about that. And the angel, when he appears to Mary, makes it clear that Mary doesn't know anything about Zechariah and John the Baptist. He says, you know, hey, and your cousin um, Elizabeth is pregnant. So she doesn't know that. So you've got to remember there's been 400 years of total silence. And then this young 14, 13 probably year old virgin comes out saying, oh, God spoke to me and that's why I'm pregnant. The whole the community would be like, it's like, really? One, lie, lie, pants on fire. Two, God doesn't speak anymore, right? You with me, eh? So we'll, we'll talk about that more when we, we kind of get there. Um, so God has a plan, and <laughs> he knew it, but we just keep stuffing up his plans. Um, so here's our, our poster again that we're looking at. And when I was looking at it this week, I was like, ooh, 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 there's a cool bit I'd never seen before. <laughs> and so I zoomed in on it, and there's this little Jesus baby as a baby. And I was like, wait, really? That is so cunning of Briar who drew this to put that in there. So I texted Briar um, and said, is that Jesus or am I imagining it or what's going on? She's like, yeah, 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 totally. And she's like, there's so much more on that picture than you realize. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so when you look at it, it's like, but God has a plan. Um, and over here you've got the, the world because that's part of his plan. You've got the seasons going along the top, part of God's plan. And then you have a crown cunningly in the middle, which is talking about Jesus is going to be the coming king. And then you have Jesus as a baby in this whole picture. And I was like, man, that's just cool art, cool weaving together of, um, I don't know, God having a plan. That's cool. All right, so I want to look at a couple of Old Testament prophecies that show us that God has a plan. Um, and one of the things I'm wanting us to think about when I look at these is this whole thing that the, the average Israelite <laughs> heading into the time of Jesus is just like, where is God? We haven't heard from him for 400 years we're in captivity again because now they're under Roman occupation, which was horrible, right? It was a horrible, horrible occupation, hideous. Um, the taxation is unbelievable. Death. Anyway, terrible. It's this whole where is God thing. And the thing I love is the whole way through the Old Testament, though, is God keeps seeding these little prophecies saying, it's okay, Israel, I've got a plan, I've got a plan, I've got a plan, I've got a plan. So I'm just going to look at two of them. And you know both of these, but hopefully when we kind of dig into them, there might be a few like, oh my gosh, that's such a cool prophecy bits that come out. So here's the first one. So if you've got your Bible, jump over there. So Isaiah 7, 14. And you guys know this one um, super well, but I will read it anyway. So I'll give you a second to get there. It's good to check it out in your Bible. Um, so just the context here, the, the king's being a bit of a goose at this time. I mean, what a surprise. The kings are so often gooses in the Old Testament. And God said, look, He's not trusting, and God's like, hey, ask for a sign, and I'll give you a sign that proves that I've got you, and that I'm over this whole thing. And the king's like, no, I won't, I won't ask for a sign. He's trying to be all oh, stupid. And so then in verse, um, verse 14, it says, all right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, if you're not going to ask for a sign to prove that God's got you, God's going to give you a sign. And then what he does is just crazy. And so it says, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, most people, most Bible scholars, wise super people, reckon this is, it's called a, like a double, a double fulfillment prophecy, right? A double fulfillment prophecy. And most people say what Isaiah is actually doing is Isaiah is saying, ask for a sign. The king's like, no, I don't want to test God. And so Isaiah literally points to a virgin who's never had a child, and he goes, when she has a child... Name him Emmanuel, and that's a sign that God's with you. And so then she does the wild thing with her husband, which we don't talk about in church. Um, she does the wild thing with her husband and has a baby. And it's not a miraculous thing, but that's this timing. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Then, And if you go forward nine months after this, oh, my gosh, God, amazing stuff happens. We don't have time to look at that. 
But at the same time, and this is one of those crazy things in the Bible, if you'd asked Isaiah, bro, is this a prophecy heading forward 700 years? Because 700 years from Isaiah to the birth of Jesus. I think he would have gone, I don't think so, because I literally went the virgin right there when she... But then when we get to the New Testament and we read it in the context, it's like, oh my gosh, this is like the most crazy prophecy ever. Um, and most of the, the teaching that we find around the time of Jesus is they've realized now that this is this kind of double prophecy thing. So if you've got your Bible, jump over to Matthew. You guys know this story super well. Uh, Matthew 1, 23. So this is that crazy story to... Um, Joseph, which, oh, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, there's, uh, there's a whole bunch I want to say about this, but I'm like resisting until we get a bit further into the, the Christmas story. Um, suffice it to say, he thinks Mary's a complete liar. You with me, right? You with me? Yeah. Okay, focus. So Mary, he would believe Mary's a total liar because he knows he hasn't done the wild thing with her, and now she's pregnant. And either she's done it with someone else, which is just terrible, or she's lying, something weird's going on. So he would have been, out of everyone, the number one guy knowing that she's a total liar with this. But he's a nice guy, and you remember he's going to like, um, you know, just send her away. And <laughs> it's just really horrible. And then he has this crazy dream where an angel appears to him in a dream. Um, and verse 22, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. What's the prophet? Oh my gosh, the one in Isaiah. Verse 23, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then to me, one of the most happy, happy, joyful, joyful verses in the Bible, apart from Jesus and all that, is verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. And as I've said before, man, I really hope we can watch video replays of history in heaven because this is one of my favorite ones I want to see. Because did he wake up at two in the morning and just go, oh my gosh, Mary hasn't been lying. She does love me. Ah! <laughs> like goes sprinting through the town, banging on her door. Ah! You know? Or did he be more surreal, you know, more perfect and turn up at eight o'clock, you know, after breakfast and coffee and be like, hey Mary. But the joy in his heart to realize, oh my gosh, he hasn't been lying all this time. And then I I know I'm getting carried away, but the other side is the imagine the joy for Mary when finally someone believed her. Finally, because everyone didn't believe her, right? Parents would have been like, whatever, everyone, and then finally. The one guy she loves, the, the guy, comes running up. Oh, <sighs> such a cool story. Anyway, all right, so a couple of things on this one. Um, over the years, and, and you guys know this, eh, people have tried to disprove a lot of these prophecies because it just doesn't fit with the non-Christian narrative, right? You can't have someone 700 years before an event saying exactly what's going to happen. And this is one that's been tried to be dis disproved again and again and again. And every time they try it, it just can't be disproved because of linguistics and there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff around um, these verses that are just super powerful. And I just love that, that every time someone sets out to say, no, nah, it's not a prophecy, that's ridiculous because it means God is real. It kind of falls down. The other thing I love about this is this is a completely ridiculous prophecy, right? It could have been real general. It could have been a real simple prophecy like, I see something wonderful is going to happen to you and there's going to be a road and a cloud and at the end of the road there will be pizza, you know, like because pizza's the best thing ever, right? But instead it's so incredibly specific that the virgin, it's like of all the prophecies Isaiah could have come up with, if it was just him, not God, is what I'm meaning, of all the prophecies he could have come up with, this is impossible because this is complete madness. Anyone listening who at the time thought it was singular but as they realized it was a double thing and be like, Holy cow, what is he saying? He's really saying that God has said that 
in the near future, a virgin is going to have a child? How does this even happen? Um, so my brain went kind of crazy this week thinking about this, and I got really excited thinking about Mary hearing from the angel. Um, so let me explain this. So Mary's 13, 14, very, very unlikely she was any older than that. Um, she would be totally illiterate, but she would know a lot about the Old Testament. So women were very much involved in the worship at the temple, all the singing and stuff. They couldn't go into the inner temple, but they would be very aware of a lot of that. Um, the Psalms, she would know super well, all this stuff from singing it. Um, and women were very much involved in all the festivals and feasts. You know how they're constantly having festivals and feasts? So there's a lot of Old Testament truth that Mary would know, even though she's illiterate and even though she's a woman, she's kind of excluded from that, that teaching. Um, and I... <laughs> So for 400 years, God said nothing, and then all of a sudden, this young virgin, boom, and angels appears in her room or out in the fields, I don't know, and God is speaking again, right? And I, so I'm just thinking out loud when I say this next bit, I've just always wondered, did Mary know the prophecy, and as she hears what the angel said, does Mary go, oh my gosh, I'm the virgin that all of Israel has been longing and longing and longing for for 700 years? Do you know what I mean? Oh, I got excited. You guys are not very excited. So this is what the angel says. So in Luke 1, 31, the angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus. And Mary's response is, I find it really interesting. She states the obvious, but at the same time, I'm wondering, is she, oh, let me read it. So her response in verse 34 is, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? And then she goes, because I'm a virgin. And I've always wondered, is she really saying, how can this happen? Not, she gets the physical impossibility, <laughs> but is she actually saying, how can this happen? Am I the virgin, the virgin, the one who was prophesied 700 years before? I'm like, oh, every time I read, I've got goosebumps now even thinking about it. I just love that. Eh? 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God had a plan and made it so clear with the most amazing prophecy. Man. All right, here's another one that you guys know well, but I want to unpack it. So Micah 5.2. So if you've got your Bible, jump over to Micah, which is one of those real tricky books to find. So if you've got a paper Bible, flicking is the best. If you've got a clicking cheap Bible like me, then it's not too hard to find. <laughs> so Micah 5.2. This is another one that we know super well, but as I was pulling it apart this week, I was kind of like, ooh, there's so much more in here. It's really cool. So Micah also was written around, he was a, well, a contemporary of Isaiah, and so he's writing around 700 years before Jesus. Um, and this is what he said. So this is Micah 5.2. But you are Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, which is a bizarre phrase, will come um, from you on my behalf. Um, I love this. Now, this is real funny. So, but you, O Bethlehem. So at the time he's writing this, 700 years before Jesus, Bethlehem is one of the most pointless, stupid towns in all of Israel. So most of the times when we read of Bethlehem in the Old Testament, it's called lowly or least or pointless in Hebrew. Um, it's also often when there's lists of the, the towns and cities in the Old Testament, Bethlehem's not even listed because it's just such a, who really cares about Bethlehem? And it just always cracks me up. It's like God is the creator of the universe. He could have a son born anywhere. So why did God choose for Jesus to be born in this town that's the most pointless, it feels like, the most least, the most, who really gives a rip um, in all of Israel? Um, the, the context of, of the book of Micah where he's talking there, he's just been slamming all the kings of Israel um, because they had this whole proud thing about being born in Jerusalem, being born in a big city, and that made them really important. 
And so then you get to this verse, and he's saying, you know, all your kings, with all your proudness, and you're um, born in Jerusalem, what do you do? But, and then he says that, but one is coming who's going to be born in this pointless little random town. Um, and then you see, jump over to Matthew, because it's kind of wild, because he, in quotes, he misquotes it, and it's kind of interesting what's left out. Where are we going? Matthew 2, 6. So the context of this is when the, um, the wise guys... <laughs> The astrologers have come to uh, to Herod, and Herod's trying to find out what's going on, why are these people here, um, and he calls in the, the teachers, the um, Jewish leaders and stuff, and he asks them, where is this Messiah supposed to be born so he can kill him, right? Because Herod's a, an, he's an illegitimate king, he really shouldn't be king, long story, and so the last thing he wants is a real king to be born, which is why he kills all those kids. Um, and they say, in Bethlehem, Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and this is verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be a shepherd for my people Israel. Um, now, one of the things that's real interesting is that he dropped out, they dropped out the whose origins are from distant past. And when I was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, Matthew's misquoted it. And then I realized, no, it's the Jewish leaders who don't want to put that in. And this is why. So in Micah, when it says, so again, that key phrase, whose origins are from, uh, in the distant past, the word that he uses for origins is this really, really weird word that literally means from eternity on. So from eternity on. Now, to me, this gets really, really wild. So Micah's writing 700 years before Jesus. Micah's understanding of the Trinity is zero. He would not have believed in the Trinity at all. He would only have believed in God the Father, and he would have totally believed that God the Father is eternal, right? Now, we are immortal, Right? So we're like Highlanders. Yeah? Greatest move of all time. Amen? Sure. So we're like Highlanders, <laughs> as long as that head's down. Nah. Um, we're, we're immortal. We have a beginning and we have no end. But what Micah's writing here is that he would, he would understand that God the Father is eternal, no beginning, no end. But what he's saying is someone is coming who is eternal. But if you think about it in his brain, that's impossible. Are you with me, right? Because in his brain, there's only one God. There can't be another God, so there can't be another one. God can't come because he's already here. So I just find this really interesting that under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he's actually writing something that he really does not understand. It does not make sense to him. One who's from eternity will come from this super irrelevant tiny city and finally be the leader that the nation needs. That's what he says there. And I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, hang on, hang on. There's got to be a reason. Why would God choose Bethlehem of all the places? Why not some of the other cool, there's so many cool cities and cool towns at this time. Why did he choose Bethlehem? The, the most pointless, it seems. And when I was reading it, one of the people that I was reading said, it's all part of this incredible desire for God for us to understand the humility of Jesus Christ. And so this is what I, where my brain was going on it. Um, so not only is Jesus born in an occupied country in extreme poverty, poverty, not only is he born of a virgin in a society where that brought huge shame, not only is he born in a barn or a cave of all places and placed in an animal feed trough, he's also born in a city known for being the, low, the, <laughs> the lowest and the least. And it's like God's going to this extreme way of showing how humble Jesus is. And I was thinking about us, and I was like, man, some of us are real poor in here. And I know it. Some of you are going to food banks, really struggling to make, make ends meet. And I just love that we have a God who grew up. He totally gets that. <laughs> Jesus totally gets what it is when you're looking at your bank account, and you're like, there's too much week for my money. 
Jesus is not this awesome God sitting on a throne in heaven being like, well, just pray more. It's not. He gets what that's like because that's what he grew up as. The next thing I put down is he's born of a virgin in a society where that brought huge shame. And I was like, man, I'm sure there's people in this room or people listening on podcasts or the video where you have been ostracized by society for various things you do or say. You feel discriminated against. And it's, again, it's so awesome to know that you have a God who totally gets discrimination. You imagine him growing up in their society where family is everything. And no one will ever believe the story of Mary and Joseph. And so his whole life he's growing up, not just as someone from Nazareth, which is this another pointless town, but someone, I'm not going to say the word, but the word we might say, who's your dad? You don't even know who your dad is. You think? You know what I mean? That, oh, I just love that. He gets that kind of discrimination. Born in a cave. <laughs> Born in the, the, the smallest, most pointless town. I just love the humility of God. I just want to kind of change track sideways because I was really worried when I was writing this that the way I've been talking about it, it's almost like God had a plan, but we mess it up. And so God's like, oh, no, they've messed it up. I've got to change. And so this is something I was thinking about this week. Nothing happened in the Old Testament that made God go, blast. <laughs> they stuffed that up. Quick, Trinity. <laughs> we need a plan B as they keep messing everything up. Right? Um, God had a plan. He knew we were going to mess it up. He had a plan. He knew we were going to mess it up. Right? It's not like God does it and... Everything starts falling apart and he's freaking out. Um, and I really want to encourage you in your life because in your life it can feel like sometimes God had a plan, but man, it's like I've hit a wall or I've hit a something and everything just feels like I've done something really dumb and everything is falling apart. And bouncing off what I've written there, it's like God never goes, oh man, and I'll pick on, I'll pick on Joseph, right? Oh, Joseph, you've totally, Trinity, whiteboard session, Joseph's totally messed up her life again. We had it sorted. Quick, let's, what, Holy Spirit, what do you, God never does that, right? His love for us is so extreme. His power for us is so extreme that no matter what dumb things we do or what good things we do, um, God has a plan. God can guide us. God can direct us. Uh, I just love that, eh? Um, I chose this picture of a path. This is um, down at the Hamilton Gardens, right? And this path is super clear, super easy to understand. Like, you could just wander down it. It's real clear. It's obvious. But it feels like in my life, and I know some of you in your life, sometimes it feels like the path is more like this. <laughs> and you can kind of see this, this is a wood um, path. They're kind of here, and then where the heck does it go? It's somewhere over there. And, it's kind of, and you can't see it, but all the grass around there is all swampy and kind of chaos and stuff. Um, sometimes it feels like our path is not that, <laughs> not laid out perfectly clear. I know exactly what God wants to do, where I'm going. But to me, anyway... <laughs> Heaps of times it feels like this. I'm like, I kind of sense where God's taking me, but I'm a little bit lost. I'm kind of freaking out. And I know all I've got to do is trust him. He's got it because he really does have a plan. Um, I asked, I didn't know Graham was going to be here, so this is kind of freaky, but I asked Graham if I could share this story with you all. So as you know, Graham's had some pretty massive surgery um, this week, getting the dialysis thingamy removed from his gut, and now he's got it in his neck, which to me is just awesome. slash terrifying. Um, and so being the good pastor I am, I raced up to the hospital and prayed with Graham. And of course, I left more encouraged than when I went in because he's awesome. And then I was praying with him. Um, I just rang him not long before his surgery. And, and I did the normal pastor thing, you know, like, oh, we pray that you'll guide the surgeon's hands and help them not to miss anything. And I pray good, for good recovery for Graham and blah, blah, blah. Give him peace. You know, the normal Christian prayers, you with me, eh? And then th this is my paraphrase because I can't remember exactly, but this is basically, <laughs> then Graham prayed. And when he prayed, at the end of it, I was like, shut up, who are you? So this is what Graham prayed. He said, I don't know why you allow this infection, God, but I'm looking forward to see what you're wanting to teach me through this. 
And I was like, who is this guy? I'd be going into surgery like that, doing, yeah, you pray for the peace, pray for the guiding of the surgeon's hands, and, and Graham's doing the path thing. He's like, I don't know where my path's going, God, but I'm trusting you. What do you want to teach me? What do you want, how do you want me to grow through this? I was like, hmm, that's cool. Um, and I want to acknowledge, I know some of you older folks um, and here totally get that, and that's the way you guys live your lives. Heaps of times your path is really, really confusing, but you guys have developed this amazing faith and trust in God where you're like, I'm all good, I'm all good. And I wanted to say we need, us, us young folks, <laughs> we need to hear more of those stories. Um, we need to hear more of your stories where everything's hitting the fan, but your faith is strong and secure because we, we need that because we're good at, I've lost the path and then I'm wandering off behind a tree and God's like, yo, I'm over here. <laughs> I just want to finish with this verse that Joseph um, read before. So this is from that First Peter 1, 6 and 7. It says, be truly glad. And then he goes, says something that I'm like, that's not what I'd be glad about. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honour on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Um, I just really want to encourage you, especially people on the podcast or the video, I don't know what's going on in your life. There's heaps of trials. There's heaps of crazy stuff going on on this planet at the moment. Um, personally, globally, everywhere at the moment. And I just love what, Paul, what Peter says towards the end, though. It's like when your faith remains strong, it's like he's saying, I know heaps of bad stuff's going to be hitting you, but stay strong. And I love how he finishes it. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Um, I'm trying to get too emotional when I say this, but I'm like, man, that is the coolest encouragement ever at the end, I reckon. I'm pumped if some of you say, oh, great, Craig, it's great to see your faith. I'm like, oh, cheers, that's fantastic. I don't mean it, that, that was rude. I mean, I'm like, yay, thank you, that's great. But man, imagine standing for Jesus <laughs> at the end of time and hearing him go, man, good job, so-and-so, good job, so-and-so, good job, so-and-so. Wow, there were trials, the path was unseen, your life was really tough at times, but <laughs> your faith remained strong and therefore now you receive praise and glory and honour from Jesus. <laughs> Man, that is nuts, eh? That is nuts. All right, you two, let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing one more song, finish up. Yeah, cool, let me pray. Yeah, kia ora, atua. Um, yeah, I, man, Jesus, I'm so glad. Um, I don't know, I don't mean this in a cheesy way. I'm, I'm just so glad you didn't get born in a palace where the shepherds would never have gone in in the first place um, and, and grew up in wealth and, and riches and stuff because I, I know you're God and I know you get what it's like for us and everything but the fact that you were born in poverty and in discrimination and in an occupied country that was just being so oppressed and crushed and, and all that you saw, it's like I just love the fact that you really get us in our struggles. Yeah, I thank you that you went through that horrible temptation too. You know what it's like to be tempted by sin. You don't just kind of float above it and be like, oh, yeah, it's all good. You really relate to us. You connect with us in our struggles, in our times of trial, our times of temptation, testing. Yeah, we just so love that, God. I pray that last verse would really kind of, I don't know, drill into our brains. I don't know what the phrase is. 
drill into our souls that, man, the, the incredible privilege of knowing you're with us, knowing you've got a plan through all the madness of life, but knowing that if we stay strong, one day we will receive praise and glory and honour. What an amazing thing to grasp for, to hold on for God. Yeah, I just pray for some of the older folks in our church too who just have such a stronger faith than some in here. I just pray you'll give them the wisdom within humility to share some of these stories more with us of, of things hitting the fan in their lives or currently, but yet they're just staying strong because they trust you. They don't see the path clearly, but they're walking one step one step because I know you've got them and we, we need to hear those stories God give us good ears to hear them when they tell us that yeah I pray all this in the name of Jesus amen right thanks tech team